0: This is a Founding Media Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Masters and Founders. This week, we are sharing my conversation with Prentice Howell, owner and chief creative officer of Door Number 3. Prentice is all about the culture of change and challenging the status quo. He does it so well with his current company that focuses on branding and creative. He has done the same for some of America's most iconic brands, including Minute Maid, the UPS Store, Anheuser-Busch, and JBL. Prentice's work has been recognized nationally and internationally in prestigious shows such as Cannes Leon, London International Advertising Awards, the Webby Awards, and Communication Arts. Let's hear more from Prentice on how he's got his start and what drives his love of challenges. Today, as a very special guest, we've got uh, Prentice Howe with door number three. Hey. How are you doing? Good, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, I'm really excited and stoked about this because you and I met a couple weeks ago. That's right. And uh, just kind of went over and brainstormed uh, what you've been doing for the last, how many years? You've been in branding
1: Gosh, I've been doing this since I graduated from SMU with my little copywriter's book that was laminated, and I thought it was, you know, just perfect. So I laminated it, you know, like it was done, it was baked, and uh, learned a lot after that. But uh, that was when I got out of school, so 96. So I've been doing this a long time.
0: Wow. Yeah. We're going to get double education here because not only are you a founder, but you help other founders and companies brand. That's right. And so I am super stoked about this. Good. I'm super stoked to talk about it.
2: Prentice, right out of the gates of SMU, were you passionate about, about advertising, branding, or, or was this something that you kind of evolved into?
1: No, I was. And really from a copywriter standpoint, so that's where I started. Uh, you know, I went through the portfolio school, became a copywriter, and then you you go to different agencies. If you hang around long enough, they start to give you fancier titles. So then, you know, you become associate creative director, creative director, executive creative director. Uh, but it's all I've done my whole career. It's It's something I love, and I just... I love storytelling through the lens of a brand, and it's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah.
0: Question uh, before we get into branding. You as a founder, how, how, how did that
2: start?
1: Well, it's, it's, a, it's actually a pretty unique story. Uh, I uh, always kind of wanted to have my own agency. I worked at Door Number 3 for seven years uh, as executive creative director and looked at purchasing it. Uh, it didn't work out at the time. I went off to Detroit and worked on some pretty – Amazing brands like Minute made and Fiat and some some big global brands and the opportunity came up again to, to come back and purchase the agency and it was a place it was kind of like a homecoming. It was really special to come back into the agency as a as an owner and start running the company and kind of making it um, it was already a special place but making it make it my own so um, that uh, was about just over three years ago
0: very cool
2: and when when did you uh... So you said it didn't work out in the beginning. When did you know that it was door number three that you wanted to make yours? And what changed? What changes did you want to make to make it yours? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I, having worked in advertising for so long, uh, I worked in Dallas, in Los Angeles, Austin, Detroit, Austin again. Agencies anywhere from ten people to over six hundred people, and um, I always loved working on clients where I could have a good impact and I wasn't just a, a cog in the machine. And, and I love kind of the underdog story, not necessarily working with startups, that's not where we focus, but working on brands that are not necessarily number one in their category and they have to outthink when they can't outspend. And that's exciting, that gets me out of bed and they have to do things differently, work a little bit faster or a little bit more creatively. And so um, coming back, getting the agency and kind of starting anew with, with a shop I wanted to have a place that was gonna be kind of a challenger brands advocate where we could empower challengers to wake up every day and topple giants. And it takes having a roadmap and the right tools and anyone can challenge but it takes, takes a pretty special brand to be an empowered challenger, to be one that uh, really taps into the right personalities uh, to do it right and do it successfully. So that's, what, that's, the, that's kind of the mission I put in place at the agency. And Now we are kind of an advocate for those types of brands.
0: How has life changed for you uh, from being an employee of a company to actually being the guy that runs it? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh,
1: Totally different. You you start to realize you wear a lot of different hats and, um, you know, the things that you used to do a lot of, like I I was a creative director, so I spent most of my time obviously doing that, and and now I have a lot less time to do that. So you start to hire people that are better than you and can do those jobs for you so you can spend time um, doing a lot of things that are important as, as a founder or an owner of a company, which is helping maintain the vision, make sure you're financially sound, making sure the is good, making sure the pipeline of talent is good. Um, and so all of that, then still being able to dive into creative as much as I can um, is what I love to do. So it's really a different thing, but what's fun is hiring really talented people and letting them do their thing because you get people better than yourself and, and you're going to have a really good company.
0: Those creative juices, I imagine, are pretty exciting. I know that we, we do a lot of creative stuff, whether it's podcasts or the magazine or or you video, know, video comedy, or whatever. just, just yeah. sitting down on yeah. the whiteboard and just doing creative stuff. Is, yeah, is is one of the funnest parts of the job.
1: It is. It is fun, and we like to think that we hope. You know, when we go see some of our clients, that we get the opportunity to be the best part of their day. I mean, they're excited to kind of talk about ideas and talk about strategy, and so we need to shine and make it great for them. But it's it is fun all the way from early stages of coming up with ideas through we call it making stuff, but producing, you know, producing the work, what we're doing right now, you got the microphones out and the cameras are on and it's, it's fun to be in that process of creativity and, and then tackling the next assignment moving on.
0: Tell us about your book.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I wanted to get down on paper, um, as much for us as an agency as anything, it's really to solidify our positioning as a shop, what we stand for, what we believe in and kind of how we approach brand development, strategic positioning. So, um, it's called uh, The Empowered Challenger Playbook. Um, how brands can, um, um, you know, uh, rising brands can kind of steal market share and, and topple giants is, is the essence of it. But it dives into, at the core, it's about brand positioning. So when I talk about brand positioning, that's brand articulation. It's kind of like, what do you offer that no one else does, that customers want and need? Mm-hmm. And if you can't answer that, just stop. You know, just stop. Like, don't move forward. Don't, don't worry about your color palette or your logo. Um, and that's really exciting to us. We love starting there. So brand positioning is a big part of the book, talking about that. And then, um, the rest of it in the, most of the book is looking at the five personalities of an empowered challenger brand. Um, and, and those are, you know, I kind of, kind of like a David and Goliath thing. You know, he had five stones to defeat his giant. You have five personalities that you can tap into at any time. Look at them as your stones. You can pick up and, and hurl at your giants. But if you adopt these in your own unique way as a brand, um, you can do some pretty special things. So what I did is identified kind of what's happening in the marketplace with challengers, the ones that are winning, what are their personalities and identified those five personalities. And, and, and for, for me, it's the kind of book that hopefully put out there and whether you're starting a company or whether you're at a Fortune 500 brand and you got people nipping at your heels, um, it's something that could apply to whatever you're doing.
2: Really, you know, I am gonna do a little plug here for our listeners, five out of five stars on Amazon, so go get yourselves a copy.
1: It's also in book people. It's also in book
2: people here in Austin, Texas. If you don't know how to
1: get on Amazon, you know.
2: There you go. Profit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say uh, people get wrong about branding?
1: Um, I, I think a lot of them think they're positioned. And when I say that, I mean, I think that they've got, they think they've, they, they, move, they move too far too fast. And, and they move into logos and colors and look and feel and packaging before they really articulate themselves in a Word document. And that's not always sexy or fun. You've got to stand naked in front of a mirror and kind of be like, all right, what do, what do we have here? Um, it's not always fun. It's really painful. It's a, it's a painful process, but that's why a lot of people don't want to do it. We actually work with a lot of companies that, are, that have been in market for a long time. They're not startups. They're trying to scale. They're trying to maybe be acquired. And they're internally not even in lockstep because they haven't taken the time to kind of get in the same room and say, "What do we stand for? What are we about?" Um, and, and because if you could, if you do that, then you can boldly market with confidence. There's no, "Hey, do we like that? Do we like that advertisement? Do we like that video?" Let's just like apply our own personal biases to it and just spitball. Do we like that? No, it doesn't work like that. It's you're in lockstep. You run it through the filters of the strategic brief that you've all agreed upon. Um, and it makes the process so much smoother, so much easier. So I think the biggest mistake that we see are people just move too fast, too quick, and they haven't articulated who they are and why they are, which is a big thing. You know, the whole Simon, Simon Sinek, uh, the power of why, and, mm-hmm. and that's the big thing. It's not just about what you do, but it's why you do it, right? And that, mm-hmm. if that is not put down on paper, then um, you can spend a lot of money and then we having to re- redo things.
2: Really fast, just spend a lot of money really fast. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Which is the nature of the beast sometimes, understandably so, to get to market or to scale or things, you got to move fast, but um, we, that's, that's where we, that's one place where we want to kind of slow clients down and make sure that's tight.
2: Definitely.
0: Yeah. Um, so my thought, and I just kind of going back to some of these uh, companies that you've worked with, any yeah. favorite stories or any uh, companies that you, you think were transformational or? Yeah, God, there's, been,
1: there's been a lot of fun ones through the years. I, I, I look at, um, we've had the opportunity to work in professional sports, which has been fun, work with the Texas Rangers and the Dallas Stars and the Cowboys. Um, there was one campaign that was kind of our lightning rod campaign that I loved. It was for the Dallas Stars and the, the tagline was come into the cold. So we were trying to differentiate in a super big sports marketplace against you know, Jerry's world. We got football, Mark Cuban, basketball, and here's hockey. Hockey in Texas, the ultimate challenger kind of yeah. position. So we we had come into the cold, and, and and that was the campaign to kind of invite people to look at look at a different kind of sports experience that you're not going to get uh, in the rest of DFW. And that one was kind of a lightning rod approach. Now, lightning rod is one of the five personalities of challenge of an empowered challenger. So think um, Lady Gaga, right? So it's not a, just about wearing a, a dress made of meat; it's about being fascinating, being interesting—lover or hater—you'll never forget her, right? So, lightning rod brands kind of are tapping into what's happening um, in the media, in the marketplace. They're being contextually relevant. They're not afraid to get out there, and that was what we were able to do with the Dallas Stars with this campaign. It was like headlines, like you know, outdoor outdoor boards all across Dallas. It was a integrated campaign, but the the, he, the headlines in the outdoor boards kind of big part of it, like. Um, um, you know, like, um, uh, is the N, N in NFL for Nancy? At least, oh, only seven games a week? Only, sorry, only, let me just, only one game a week is the N in NFL for Nancy. You know, things like that. And when there was that point shaving scandal, um, that's when it was happening with the NBA. I don't know if you remember that, but we, uh, we kind of took advantage of that. The, the Stars shared um, their building with the Mavs downtown, at the time, American Airlines Arena. So we got the outdoor board right there outside of uh, the the stadium and ran a headline um, that said, the only thing our refs shave is the ice. You know, come into the cold, Dallas stars. And the whole campaign had that tone, but it was also tapping into things that were happening in real time. Um, And so opportunities like that are a lot of fun. We've had a lot of them through the years, but that's one that jumped out at me.
0: So you you mentioned the five and... and that was one of them. That was one of them. Can us talk about the other five? Yeah. That, maybe some examples of those.
1: Yeah, that movies. would be great. So, yeah, so Lightning Rod is one of them. Um, in in, in the, the, the quote that I think is kind of fun on that, you know, John Lennon said, being honest may not get you many friends, but it will always get you the right ones. Like that. So, you know, that, that's, that's kind of it on that one. Heretical is the next one. Um, heretical brands kind of redefine perspective. So they're able to look over the horizon and bring you today uh, which you didn't even realize you needed. You know, and if you think about some of your favorite brands that do that, um, Steve Jobs had a great quote, quote, he said, get closer than ever to your customers, so close in fact that you tell them what they need well before they realize it themselves. So if you think about brands that you interact with that do that, they're heretical. Um, Amazon, of course, has been doing that. There's a, there's a great company in town, Silvercar. I mean, mm-hmm. you can rent a silver Audi at the airport yeah. via an app, you know. Um, Sparefoot here in town is a great example of a heretical brand. So uh, it's, it's kind of like operationally they're hereticals, but then they're heretical storytellers. They market in a heretical way too. So um, that's another, another one. The next one's one of my favorites, uh, Fostering Rejection. So the idea of that is pushing away, your most, uh, pushing away the masses in order to attract your most ardent fans. Okay. So it's that whole, if anyone can have it, I don't want it. Um, and then that's, that's a pretty smart place to be. And I think that where we get frustrated as an agency is when a client says in the brief, you know, that we've got something for everyone. Well, that's terrible. Yeah. You know, that is just a terrible place to be. Um, the brands that are able to uh, commit to pleasing a select few and really build a cult-like following are the ones that then grow and expand. And they get bigger, but they don't. They don't get big by coming out of the gate and saying we got something for everyone. Right. So it's like tough mudder. You know that endurance race. They didn't start out by. You know they started out by saying you know this is this is for a select few that are crazy enough to carry logs through mud and you know um, and now it's an international organization because they are, their greatest fans or greatest advocates then spread that word of mouth. So you start by fostering rejection. So that's that's a third personality trait. Um, the next one's compulsive servitude is what we call it. So over-delivering to the extent that it becomes the very definition of your brand. Mm-hmm. So please and thank you are not enough now. The, the the new bar is your bar, but what is what is what are you gonna do with your own brand that is so memorable uh, and incredibly specific to your product service offering? So I'll give you an example of that. I was um, looking to get some flowers for, um, Some family members up in DC, you know, you kind of get on the, get on the Google and you start looking around. It's all the usual players, FTD and 1-800-Flowers. Tired of that. I know how that works. I found Urban Stems, um, a company that's now expanding big time, but you know, nice UX, nice design. I went through the whole process, ordered the flowers. A matter of hours later, I got a text from Lisa at Urban Stems said, Hey Prentice, you just check off, uh, making someone's day from your to-do list. There was a picture of the flowers that I ordered held up in front of the door of my family member. So I knew what the flowers were, that they were delivered, there was the door. Now, I never, that's never happened to me. I've never seen that done before. Um, but that's over delivering to the extent that that is the definition of urban stems now to me, right? Mm-hmm. So they took the user journey and they said, where can we insert something really special that no one else is doing in this space? 100 flowers, I don't even know if they get delivered. I just know that I have to pay a huge surcharge at the end when I'm checking out, you know, like, right. and the delivery fee. But these guys just said, we're gonna, make, we're gonna make something really special in this process that is just kind of not really fun.
2: And so, WAG does that. WAG here does that by taking a video of everybody's dog. Really? Uh, they go get your dog from downtown, they take a video, they send it to you while you're at work, and they, they then send, make, it has to be fun. Your dog's having fun at Zilker Park and that's that's going above and beyond that. too yeah, yeah me too it's great I, love that. Yeah, me too. I, I
1: think it's yeah i think it's just you've got to figure out what it is that's unique to your brand that you can do and it's not please or thank you that's that's great sam walton set that in motion years ago but um, what is it today that you can do that's just going to stand out and mm-hmm. you can think about all your touch points in that customer journey so that's compulsive servitude the, the last one out of the five is um constant evolution so if you think about um, the most powerful brands kind of transcend product categories, because it's their brand, not necessarily their product or service, but it's their brand. And I'll give you an example, um, Shinola, which is out of Detroit. you never heard of Shinola, but they make beautiful watches, really meticulously engineered. Um, and then they started making bikes. And you're like, okay, watches, bikes. The, uh, now they're making journals and pet products and um, turntables. And you kind of go, wait, watches, turntables, pep products, journal, I mean, they're all over the place. But what it is, when a brand has a pristine track record um, in every product launch, you know, and they always deliver the expected experience, um, customers will trust in products outside of their brand's origin category, right? So, you know, we all love Yeti. They make tumblers and they uh, they make coolers. If they made rain boots, if they made tents, would you buy it? You would, you would, they could extend Anything because it's all about durability and being built for the wild. So if you think about brands that you love, they kind of have the luxury of being able to transcend categories and do really special things. The counterexample to that is like Jamba Juice or Blockbuster or those brands that just don't, just don't evolve. You know. So um, the that's that's kind of the fifth uh, personality of empowered challengers. And I think w- what we do is when we're creating work and creating campaigns for our clients. We run it through all of those and find ways that we can apply some of those to the, the brands we're working with.
0: So you have answered this question in a roundabout way, but I'm going to ask it really directly because a lot of people that listen to Masters and Founders are, you know, someone that's, that's possibly sitting at home with an idea and they want to start their own business and they're listening to these podcasts because they're wanting to learn and so to, to that person that's, that's sitting there with a startup, I know you're not working with startups, but what would you say to that person that's like thinking about their own business, uh, what would the, the advice be Rob Brandon?
1: Yeah. Um, no, that's great. Buy I think book. Yeah, <laughs> buy, buy that, just start there. Just get out your highlighter. Um, no, I, I, just, I just feel like it's gotta go back to a power belief, like a, 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 a constancy to purpose, you know? And I just think it's gotta start there, whatever that product is. Um, you know, I sat down with uh, the founder of Happy Drinks the other day. Happy Drinks is somewhat of a startup. I mean, they're out in Central Market and they've been out a few years, but they're very much in startup mode. And um, here they have this juice pouch for kiddos. It's, it's water. It's infused with some flavor, zero calorie, no sugar, right? That's like a high, that's a higher calling. You know, you could just you could say we got, a, we got a healthy juice pouch, but there's a higher calling to, to reduce childhood to, you know, um, diabetes and obesity, right? Mm-hmm. So, um... I think that nowadays that has to be tied into every every brand to be mm-hmm. relevant and meaningful and customers want it and they demand it. So I, I guess I start there. You know, it's got to be, it's all about profit, but it's got to be about purpose.
2: Clean water, right? Clean, clean water. water. Yeah, that's See, another one out yeah. of Austin, right? Yeah, they're incredible. They, I don't know exactly what they do, like with, with their money, but I think 10% of proceeds go to, to recovering addicts and it, that's why their branding is clean. So... It's really neat. Yeah, it's really neat. It like, really is. And it's a good story. It's, it says it all in the name and I love that about it. Yep. I have a question for you about whether or not you were involved in the campaign. What was the best you've ever seen? The best campaign, your favorite one that maybe, that maybe gets you going to this <laughs> day still?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a great question, gosh. There's been a lot, so many through the years. jeez. Um, oh, Favorite campaign? Just anything? Anything. Across the board. Um, I, so I'm a writer at heart. That's where I started. There was the Economist campaign that uh, was just so simple. I don't know if you remember, but it was just red backgrounds with white, white type, white headlines. Um, and things like, um, they're trying to up readership and said things like lose the ability to slip out of meetings unnoticed. Yeah. You know, like, you know, you're just going to get, you're going to up your game to a whole nother level by reading The Economist. That one sticks out to me. Um, I love that. I I loved um, some of the early Nike stuff when they were in super kind of challengery mode. I thought it was brilliant. Um, What about 80s Apple? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's great. Isn't that amazing how well they've done staying relevant throughout the years and and still having great advertising.
2: Imagine if he was still around, what he would be doing and and fresh. It would be, because he always tagged himself as as a marketing and branding expert. Right. And that's what he tagged himself as. So, yeah, which is really neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Very cool. Anything else? Anything else that uh, person should take away from branding?
2: Yeah. Um,
1: I think. I think the other thing is just just keeping in mind what customers care about most today, and especially if you are more in that startup mode or early stage of the company. Um, they want to share your passion, right? So, like, I, I go when I go into Whole Foods. I know that they, I believe what they believe and they believe what I believe. And it's, it's right there when I walk in, I go in with my two little girls and there's a basket out front that says, you know, free fruit for the kiddos, take one. And I mean like immediate value alignment before I even get my cart, right? So I think keeping in mind that, that customers want to share your passion and have that, um, they also want to convert others. There's some social credibility and be able to convert others. Um, That's a big one. And they want to be rewarded, not just monetarily, but keeping the lines of communication open and you know uh, they like badges and they like to gamify and all those things, and then the fourth thing is they want to change paradigms themselves, so they too are frustrated by the status quo you know I, I mentioned happy drinks. I saw that that really resonated with me because I had the idea and concept many years ago. I'm like why why are this all these I've got these two little girls, all these sugary drinks now He went out and executed beautifully and figured out how to really do it, but um, I immediately thought, okay that was born out of frustration and I can identify with that. So, sharing passion, converting others, rewarding, changing paradigms together. I think just keeping your customers in mind and making sure everything you do ladders up to that. And, uh, um, you know, it's what
0: you have to do now. I love that um, when we think about any of the businesses that I'm involved in, the very first thing is, what, let's talk, let's think about, let's think like the audience Yeah. and what matters to them. Right. So I think so many times, uh, Founders are so dead set up with the idea that they just think that everybody's gonna love it, but you really have to look at it from the audience standpoint and say, okay, what are the values of my audience? And then start with that in mind. So, what you just yeah. said kind of, you know, Whole Foods really sounds amazing alignment with the audience. So, from the very get go, right. I, I think it's so powerful. Okay. Sure. Good, yeah.
2: I agree. So, guys, if you want to check out what Prentice is up to, you can visit him at dn3austin.com. Um, that, was, that was great. Thank you very much for yeah. coming in. Yeah, no, Dan and Ryan,
1: thank you. I guess other than forgetting my Dallas Stars headline, I think I passed. <laughs> right? we're, we're good? For sure. <laughs> Thanks for coming. All right, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. Uh-huh.
0: Such sage advice that your customers are going to want to share values with you or your brand. It's important to any startup or new business to keep that in mind. Thank you, Prentice, for sharing your story with us on the show. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you, everyone, at Founding Media for your support. To see this video interview and other Founding Media podcasts, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. A link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening.